Well, good morning, Wilshire and neighbors and friends. Thank you for stopping by today. It's good to be together, and we're grateful that you've chosen to be with us at Wilshire. According to my weather app on my phone, we have a forecast of 104 today. My morning started with an alert from my phone that says we're under a heat advisory. About 10 minutes later, it sent me another one that in essence said, scratch that extreme heat advisory. So uh, the heat index is equivalent to sticking your head in an oven. If you realize that it's too hot to do anything constructive outside today, and it is, then you might as well join us for worship tonight. Uh, we would love to have you stop back by. This evening, we are talking about the importance of the church in our life as Christians and growing in Christ. And I am excited tonight for you to hear Reggie's story. Uh, most of us know and love Reggie for several years, uh, and I'm going to talk to Reggie, and I don't want to put any pressure on Reggie, but it is going to mo be the most intelligent, intellectual, challenging, hilarious thing you've ever heard in your life. Probably not, but I just wanted to see Reggie sweat. We're going we're gonna to talk this evening and let you hear Reggie's story and the role that this church has played in Reggie's story, not as something to bring glory to Wilshire, but just to invite us to think about just how important the church is and what God calls us to be and become. So uh, thanks to Reggie for being willing to do that, and we look forward to doing that this evening. Open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 25. And before you get there, I kind of feel this need to offer a word of caution. If Numbers 25 were a movie and the Motion Picture Association were to give this text a rating, I suspect it would come back rated R or worse. In fact, if Numbers 25 were a movie, most of us wouldn't pay to watch this kind of filth. Children under 18 wouldn't be allowed to enter without a guardian. And if somehow you manage to wander into the wrong theater and begin watching this thing unfold while those opening credits are still rolling, I suspect you would pack up your popcorn and walk out at the disgusting opening of this text. That's my warning. Israel in Numbers 25 is encamped just outside the promised land, just across from Jericho. And the story begins like this. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked itself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. I warned you, it's not pretty. And as the text unfolds, it only seems to get worse. When the writer of Numbers says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, you read later in the chapter that a plague breaks out in God's judgment and is manifested so that 24,000 Israelites die. While Moses and the people, affected by this plague, mourn 
at what is unfolding in front of their eyes, this Simonite leader named Zimri brings this Midianite mistress. He has the audacity to bring this prostitute from the temple of Baal of Peor and march her in front of the entire people of God. Right past Moses, right past the tent of meeting, right past the people, into his tent. And everyone knows what's going to happen in that tent. And Zimri is unconcerned, unrepentant, unashamed at what he's doing. And oh, by the way, this is not just another Midianite mistress. She has a name, Kazvi. She is the daughter of the Midianite leader. Just when you thought the book of Numbers couldn't get any more depressing, you wake up, you get dressed, you come to church only to hear another story. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I have spent a good part of the week trying to figure out what do you do with a text like this. I know some of you woke up this morning after having a difficult week and you've come to church looking for a word of encouragement, a sermon to pick you up. This text doesn't seem to lend itself to that. What do you do with a text like this? This past week I've spent time with some preachers and some different meetings and conversations And as is usually the case when preachers get together, what are you preaching about this week? I told them, Numbers 25, and they laughed at me. Some of them will probably listen to this sermon online just to see what I did with it. The people who print our children's bulletin that we hand out to kids every Sunday morning, you can go and you can select the text you're going to be using in service, and they'll print an appropriate bulletin like this. And this week I went and they in essence said, you're on your own, buddy. We got nothing for you. If you're a beloved Jim Baird, you schedule a family vacation so you're absent. (laughs) The day numbers 25 comes up. Why would the storytellers of Israel, these inspired writers of scripture, even want this story in their scrapbook? Of Israel. Because let's face it, we all have family stories we don't want other people to know about, don't we? The rumors, the scandals, the shameful choices, we just don't tell those stories. We certainly don't publish them in a book and put them out for the world to see, but Israel does. Numbers in the Old Testament is filled with stories like this. And this particular story, by the way, gets told and retold and retold throughout your Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 4, for instance. Not long after this, Moses is preparing them to finally move into the land. And as Moses is calling them to keep the word of the Lord, be faithful to God, Moses says this, Your eyes have seen the Lord, what the Lord did at Baal Peor, For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. 
But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. He doesn't let them forget Numbers 25. Or even in their hymn book, in Psalm 106, the writer of that hymn recounts all these rebellious moments in Israel's life and history. And right in the middle of Psalm 106 is Numbers 25. Don't forget what happened back there. And when Hosea, hundreds of years later, is warning the people of God against leaving the covenant of God, Hosea reaches back to Numbers 25 and he reminds them of that story. He says it this way in chapter 9, verse 10. Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit of the fig trees in its first season, I saw your ancestors. But they came to Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to a thing of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. It is very tempting to skip Numbers 25. But I suspect it's there for a reason. And I suspect it's told and retold because God wanted his people not to forget Numbers 25. On its own, just where it's at in the text, it is a repulsive violation of Israel's relationship with God. You remember when God brings them out of Egypt, he brings them to Mount Sinai. The people are down at Mount Sinai waiting for God to give them the covenant. And etched on the first two commands of that covenant, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idol and not bow down before them. And in Numbers 25, they managed to break the first two within three verses. And that's to say nothing of the potential violation of honoring your parents, not coveting and not committing adultery. And that's just the first three verses. And it's made all the more repulsive because of where this story fits. If you were here last week, you heard Jim walk us through that great story of Balak and Balaam, the talking donkey, though that's not the focus of the text. And do you remember what that story was about? This king Balak hires this prophet Balaam to curse the people of God. He says, I'll give you money, walk out there and curse these folks. I don't want them taking over us. And, and Balaam, this paid-for-prophecy guy, goes out, and every time he goes to speak a curse, you remember what God does? God makes it a blessing. Four times, God takes a potential curse and turns it into a blessing. In the first attempt, Balaam says, How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the dust cloud of Israel? Balak says, We can't have that. Let's go somewhere else and try this again. The second attempt, I received a command to bless. He is blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob. The Lord their God is with them. And Balak says, 
we can't have that. Let's go somewhere else. And then Balaam says, God will devour the nations that are his foes. Blessed is everyone who blesses you and cursed is everyone who curses you. And Balak says, would you stop that? Let's try one more place. And Balaam says, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and it shall crush the borderlands of Moab. It is a remarkable story of how God desperately wants to bless his people. It is a wonderful image of God who sees all the forces arrayed against his people, all the people out there trying to curse them, and God says, but I want to bless them. So you might expect after Numbers 24 to flip your Bible one page over and see the children of Israel rejoicing, maybe even a festival and sacrifices of praise and thanks for a God who has led them and a God who wants to bless them. But instead, you find the trash that is Numbers 25. God wants to bless his people. But you'll learn through Numbers 25 that instead of blessing, 24,000 Israelites are killed. I wonder why this story is in there. I know one thing is for sure. The absence of God's blessing cannot be blamed on God in this text. Now, please hear me clearly. Sometimes it's not that simple. Faithful Christians experience pain and hurt and doubt. Faithful brothers and sisters follow God with your life and you still struggle. It's not always that simple. But sometimes it is. Let's be honest. Sometimes... We bring our own suffering and pain on ourselves. If, you want, if I want to ignore God's word and, and ignore God's people and run as far away from God, and then at the end of the day sit down and wonder, why doesn't God bless my life? Does that make any sense? If my marriage is falling apart... It's always a good place to ask, am I living up to the standards that God has called me to live up to? If your life is filled with heartache and hurt and unrest, a good place to start, am I living up to the calling God has given to me? Because one of the things this text says is God wants to bless you. God wanted to bless Israel, and Israel ran as far from God as they could. Please hear me again. It's not always that simple. But you also know that sometimes it is. Israel has brought this on themselves in Numbers 25. 
Because God in Numbers 24 has blessed them once, twice, three times, and four times. And their response to God's blessing is to go to Baal. I wonder if that's why this story is in this text. It seems to be a theme with Israel. God leads them out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, and the people complain. God takes them from Egypt to Mount Sinai, gives them a covenant, and they respond with a golden calf. God leads them from Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, the very border of the promised land, and says, I'll go with you, I'll fight your battles. And the people say, they're too big. This pattern of time after time of God is trying to bless his people, and his people respond by going the opposite direction. Now there's, there's something in this text that's also interesting. It, it doesn't excuse what Israel does, but it does need to be pointed out. When Balak realizes he doesn't get his money's worth out of Balaam, I mean, look, I paid this guy to curse them, and he keeps blessing them. I want my money back. Balaam comes up with a plan B. And it's subtle in the text, but it's there. Chapter 25 and verse 17, the text talks about the trickery with which they deceived you in the affair of Peor. Or towards the end of the book of Numbers, chapter 31, when God gives the command to carry out justice and judgment against the people there, he says, because these women here on Balaam's advice made the Israelites act treacherously against the Lord in the affair of Peor, so that the plague came upon the congregation of the Lord. In other words, this wasn't just one day it just so happened. This was a planned assault on Israel. As one Old Testament scholar put it, Balak now realizes that Israel can only be stopped if the people stop worshiping Yahweh. And so what does he do? He sends in the women. And the women drag them off to Peor. That does not excuse what Israel has done. But what it does say is that there are people who do not want God's people to be blessed. And they will do everything in their power to stand between God's blessing His people and His people receiving it. It may be jealousy or ignorance or fear, but it only worked because Israel let it work. There is an interesting hero in this story, though. It's not without its trouble. But when this guy Zimri parades his Midianite mistress in front of the camp, there happens to be a grandson of Aaron, a Levite by the name of Phinehas, who's had all he can take. So he grabs his spear in his hand, and the text, leaving it to your imagination, says that with that spear, that one thrust of the spear, he kills the Israelite Zimri, and the Midianite mistress, Cosby, with one thrust of the spear, the spear, he takes them both out. It is a disgusting picture. And then God comes along and he says, 
because of what Phineas did, I am going to establish a perpetual priesthood because he was zealous for his God and he made atonement for the Israelites. He's the hero of the story. Because Phineas was zealous for the things that God was zealous about. God, as we've seen through numbers, is zealous for his people. He made this covenant with them. He wants to bless them. He has led them. He has fed them. He has cared for them. That's where God's zeal is. And when Phineas sees something that threatens the covenant and threatens the people of God and threatens the future of God's people, he's had all he can take. And he kills them and it stops the plague. Phineas is so zealous for what God is zealous for that he risks his own life to stop the brokenness of the covenant. I wonder if that's why this story's here. Because God wants Israel to be zealous for the things he's zealous about. If you're reading scripture for the first time, I know this is a troubling story and a troubling image. Israel lived in a different time and a different setting and the story is a little different than what the New Testament seems to call us to in responding to ways like this. But the one thing Scripture's consistent about is that God's people are to be zealous for the things God is zealous about. It is a passionate determination for a covenant with God, the people of God, for justice, for mercy, and humility. You see, that text I referenced in communion references this story too. When God says, I turned cursing into blessing, he's talking about Numbers 24 and how the people respond in Numbers 25. What if you and I were zealous for the things that God is zealous for? If we looked on each other's social media, could you tell that we're passionate for the same things God is passionate about? Our politics, are we more passionate about politics than we are the people of God? Do we hate bigotry and racism and all of those things tearing our culture apart? Do we hate that as much as God hates that or do we play into that? That's what it is with Phineas. That's why God says he's the guy. And I'm going to set up a priesthood through him because he's zealous for the things I'm zealous about. Can that be said about us? So what do you do with a text like Numbers 25? Thankfully, I did manage to find one preacher who dared to tackle the text, if ever so briefly. Every Sunday, I have the opportunity to share communion meditation, 52 weeks out of the year, give or take a few when I'm on vacation or Jim does it. It's the same topic every week, communion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It gets to be a little tricky, to be quite honest. 
So I look for current events and relevant texts and stories that connect the importance of the table with your life and our life. What does the gospel say about today? But there are some stories and texts that just don't seem appropriate to communion talk. Can you imagine me doing the communion talk this morning from Numbers 25 and how the people of Israel hoard themselves with Baal Peor? I suspect the elders would say, couldn't you find a different text for that? But interestingly, there's a preacher who cited this text for communion, and it was Paul. The reading that Russell did at the beginning of worship from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 runs you through this story in part, along with other stories. And Paul cites this story as he's setting the groundwork to talk about communion. And it's not just this story, it's, it's multiple stories from the book of Numbers. But he does it in an interesting way. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 10. I'll show you quickly how Paul uses this story. Chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. These things occurred as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not become idolaters as some of them did. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test. Now, it's probably a rounding issue that Numbers 25 says 24,000 and 1 Corinthians 10 says 23,000, but scholars are agreed it's the same story. But listen to the parallel that Paul is doing here. Israel was baptized in the cloud, the presence of God. Israel was baptized through the sea. Israel went into the wilderness and they ate and drank food and drink from heaven. And they still were unfaithful to the Lord. Does any of that sound familiar? You have been baptized. The Spirit of God lives within you. You've been through the waters of baptism and you come to the table and you eat and drink from heaven. Don't do what they did. Don't experience the blessing of God and then walk out without your life being radically changed. How do you do that? How do you experience the goodness and blessing of God? only to turn around and live a life as if you've never encountered God. And so for the church in Corinth that was trying to decide whether practice at a pagan temple 
with pagan prostitutes, whether that really mattered or not, whether eating meat offered to an idol in the idolatrous house, whether that really meant anything, whether we really have to live a different life, Paul says, listen to the story of Israel. Because when you sit down at this table, you participate in the body and blood of Christ. And Israel chose to participate in idolatrous practices in a different body. But God calls you to share in the body of Christ. So Paul says, chapter 10 and verse 12 of 1 Corinthians, it doesn't have to be that way. There's not a single temptation that you're going through that's unique to you. But God is faithful who will allow with every temptation a way of escape. Israel was baptized and Israel ate and Israel left the covenant of God. Don't do the same thing. God gives you a way of escape. You're not facing something too hard to overcome. God doesn't give you anything harder than you can overcome. Whatever it is you're looking at this week, whatever it is you're struggling with right now, it's not too big that God can't overcome. You've been baptized, you've eaten, you've drank. Now live in the promise of God. Don't be like Israel. Don't turn God's blessing into a curse because God wants to bless his people. Don't leave this church and go back into a world and practice their sexual immorality and practice their idolatry of money and power and practice their mistreatment of the poor and of, of foreigners and of people different. Don't do what Israel did because you have sat at the table of God. On second thought, it might have been easier to skip chapter 25. Because that starts to hit a little close to home. Blessing comes with responsibility. People who experience God's love and blessing, yet their lives are spent serving someone or something else, does not mesh with God's purpose. For people who sit in a church pew but engage in pornography and adultery and abuse of women and abuse of their neighbor does not fit the story of the cross. But Paul says it doesn't have to. It may not be the inspiring message you were hoping for this morning, but I'm glad it's there to warn us not to become complacent in our faith, to remind us to be zealous for the things that God is zealous for, and to show us that we serve a God who wants to bless us. And that blessing is offered to you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. If you want to be baptized, and have the presence of God in your life, as Israel did under the old law, but as we do now in Christ. We sing this invitation song as an invite to you.
to confess your faith in Jesus, to be buried with him in baptism, and to walk in newness of life while we stand and while we sing.